it's, it's next week isn't our service. It's, it, they're all the Lord's service, but it's, it's the service that we're here to represent the gospel. And, and people are going to come there. So we don't get to have our normal service. The things that we're used to aren't going to be next week. That's, that's, it's just not our service next week. At 9.30, we're going to gather to pray and worship, invite the presence of God to come. At 10.30, we're going to start the service, kind of the time we normally do. People will, you know, kind of have been instructed. We start at 10.30. We'll have uh, some announcements and, and a welcome, but we won't have testimonies like we typically do. And then um, we'll have a presentation of the gospel. Then we're going to have some prearranged testimonies. So, for example, um, Jesse's back, uh, Lauren, and I know your names. I only ever forget when I'm on the spot, and it's like I could call Teresa, some, you know, um, the, the pretty one with the blonde hair there. And, and, and Lauren, yours thing about the depression and the drugs and all that kind of stuff, uh, faith, you know, maybe your testimony about your leg. Um, you know, maybe we'll have four or five, but they'll be preloaded ones. So then we'll have some testimonies. And then I think we'll take a minute or two and just listen to see before we start to minister to people if maybe there's any word of knowledge that the Lord might give that would give us some sense, you know. And then um, we'll do ministry. And, and if you've not been to the healing room before, what will happen is there'll be kind of like a ministry station set up back in that corner. There'll be another one set up over here, another one set up over here. Those two sofas back there could be separate ministry stations. And if you've brought somebody here to be ministered to, then you should probably sit with them. We almost never have just one person ministering. If you're somebody who would like to minister but you don't feel confident, then ask somebody if you can participate with them. We, and I don't know everybody how they minister, but I know some. And we have some people that are very, very gifted ministers that you could sit with, and it won't take you long to see how to operate in the Lord to, to minister to people. Um, while that's going on, there will be worship happening, singing songs worship. But we can't use the big speakers because it's a tiny little room and it, and it would be very distracting. So John and Margie will have a small uh, amp or something set up here and some acoustic so if you're, if you're not ministering, then you can worship and you can intercede and, and pray um, and, and listen for the voice of the Lord. If you think that the Lord has spoken to you for somebody, then whoever you would consider like this, the most senior person of the little ministry group, get their attention and, and say, hey, I, you know, I think I might have heard from the Lord, and then give them the opportunity to evaluate whether they want to move with it or not. If they choose to, then great. If they choose not to, please don't be offended. You know, they're just, everybody's doing the best that they can. Okay? All right. Be excited. Seriously, be excited because we've not been excellent at um, sharing the gospel inside the house or outside the house. And this is, you know, this is our first real attempt at you know, the, the, the Bible says go. Well, you know, we're bringing them here at least. But it's a, it's a good step in the right direction. And you know uh, the pattern. Jesus preached the kingdom, healed the sick, 
cast out the devils, you know, did that stuff. And then he said to the 12, the same exact instructions. Matter of fact, I looked for it this morning to make sure I didn't just imagine it. In Matthew 10, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out, I might have them in the wrong order, cast out the devils, cleanse the lepers, freely you receive, freely give. So he did that. He, he, he replicated what he was doing in the pattern that he told the 12 to do. And then as he collected more disciples, two by two, he sent out 70 and gave them the same instruction. And then in the Great Commission, he gives basically the same instruction. Then in Acts, he says he's given the Great Commission. He's about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he says, all that stuff I told you to do, don't do any of it. Go in the city and wait for the gift of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you will be given power to be my witness. So you could ask the question, well, what's the witness of Jesus? Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out the devils, right? And then you can see that pattern with Philip in Samaria, you know, Paul, Peter in his shadow. So that's why we're doing it the way we're doing it. We're declaring the gospel because of the kingdom because that's what Jesus did. And then... He continued. Now, I've seen people healed a bunch without anybody sharing the gospel. But I haven't been seeing people healed nearly as much as I used to. And I think it's because I wasn't using what God had given me. I had I had, had what I would consider great success in the Lord and then very little success. And very little success caused me to, to, to back down from trying. And, and I, I think that that parable explained to me what happened, and I'm asking God by his grace and his mercy to allow me to be anointed in that way still. And I see some, but I'm not yet back, but here we are now with the opportunity to to raise a, a beautiful young lady up and, and to glory of Jesus back from death to life. So last week then, in this whole context of what's coming on Sunday, the, the healing room, we talked about Belief and unbelief. And I, and I showed you that unbelief has a sort of a power, so to speak, a dampening power, I guess you could say. And belief has a, has a creative, a healing, a miraculous power. And that we really need to um, be of one mind. Now, I don't think that you would necessarily want to draw a doctrine around this, but I think it's probably true. I know it's true for a person, Right? The person who's double-minded shouldn't expect anything from God. The example we have from James is that uh, you might ask God for wisdom. But if you're going to ask God for wisdom, you have to know that God will give you wisdom. And you have to believe that you've gotten wisdom. If you doubt, you're like a ship tossed around by the sea, you're unstable, and you shouldn't expect anything from God. Well, corporately, I think double-mindedness could be a real problem as well. If you have some people that are believing, and some people that are doubting, then we're corporately double-minded. I don't know exactly how to spiritually deal with unbelief other than to say, choose not to. And the way I choose not to is I don't entertain the thought. So when, when I get a lustful thought or a prideful thought or a selfish thought, I, I cast it down because it doesn't stand obedient to Jesus. It, 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 doesn't, it tries to exalt itself above a true knowledge of God. So I just refuse to allow it to have place in my mind. And that's the best I have right now. I don't know how to have faith 
that doesn't somehow, especially big faith, that doesn't get challenged by doubt or unbelief. But see, I don't think that's me. I, don't, I think that's a flaming arrow of the enemy. I think that's an Ephesians 6 flaming arrow and that I'm to extinguish that flaming arrow with my faith. So that's how I put it down. No, the Word of God says this. I have experience that agrees with what the Word of God says. Therefore, I, I reject this thought, and I pretend like, I don't have to think I have to pretend, I believe this is true. I treat it as though it wasn't ever my thought to begin with. And, and that's how we deal with unbelief. So if you're, everybody should be here next Sunday. And if, you, if you're concerned because you think you might not believe, then let's talk about it between now and then. But that's how I deal with thoughts that are trying to tell me, come on, seriously, she's been dead. They think she's really been dead since they got her out of the car, you know. But it doesn't matter. God doesn't, God's not limited because somebody's been dead for a minute or five minutes. That's why I kept saying that. It's like, who cares? Unplug her whenever you want. Four days, right. It, 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 Jesus could have taken another day. It wouldn't have mattered. Because the power of God is supreme over all of creation. And if he decides, then it's done. If he speaks the words, the words that he speaks won't come back to him empty. They'll go out and they'll do what they were sent to do. Okay, then now let's get on to today. The reason I wanted to, the thing I want to talk about today is, is how does a person respond to the gospel? I'm not one to challenge people. I'll share the gospel with them, ask them if they want to respond, but I, I, I'm not going to be like, come on, you know God is calling you. Come on, one more. I know there's one more out there. I just not me. I, I don't know. It might be the Lord whether he uses people that way, but it's not me. And, and oftentimes I'll share the gospel and I'll say, okay, well, now you know. I've told you the gospel. You've come to recognize your situation. Here's how you respond to the gospel so that you can become in covenant with God from now through eternity. If you want to, you know what to do. I'm likely to be like that next Sunday when I share the gospel. So if you're on this prayer team over here or this prayer team over here or wherever, the first thing that I want you to do is ask them about the gospel. Ask them, did, did, did you understand the gospel? Had you ever heard it before? You know, however you would do it, yeah, did, did, did everything, did you have any questions? Is there anything you didn't understand? Because it's easy to share the gospel with one or two people because they'll ask you questions. Or you can ask them questions. You can see their face. But in, in, a, in a larger environment, it's a little more difficult to have a two-way go. So the two-way go is going to have to happen probably with you guys. And what I want to show you today is the Bible speaks, the New Testament speaks in many ways, and be saved. Do this and be saved. And it can be confusing. We had that crazy Wednesday night here where people were wanting to literally, like one person said, I can't go to this church anymore because of, of their perception of how a person gets saved. And, and what I want to do today is I want to show you a bunch of those places with the differing kind of responses and then show you what the Bible says, how a person responds. When you, when you boil that all down, how do you actually respond to the gospel such that you've come into a covenant relationship with God, you've been uh, born again, his spirit has come and dwelt you, and you're now sealed unto eternity in the Holy Spirit. You've been saved, you've been born again. I've been, there's one guy I've been talking to who's trying to tell me that, I mean, n not a lightweight guy either, that, that you can be saved and not born again. 
I'm like, no, no, saved and born again are synonymous. If you're saved, it's because you're born again. But you can't, there's no born again that happens after saved. You're like, no, no, you can be saved, but, but you're not yet born again. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't know where you get that. Anyway, that's, that's what today's conversation is about. Okay, so the gospel is specific. It's not, it's not loose. It's not general. It's not sort of like this. You know, if, you, if you're close, you're okay. The, the gospel is specific. And, and the gospel must be responded to in a specific manner, the, the way that the scriptures teach it. Now, the tricky part is there's no place in the New Testament, at least that my eyes can discern, where the apostle Paul or Jesus says, okay, everybody sit down, and he does a presentation with bullet points. This is the gospel. It, it must contain these things. What we find out, what we see explicitly is those things it can't contain. It can't contain a denial of the resurrection of Jesus. It can't contain any of your own righteousness as being necessary unto your salvation. And then from all the things that it teaches us, the, the different parts that it shows us and the things that it shows us can't be part of the gospel, we discern what is the gospel and how a person must respond. There's, there's the specific gospel and there's the specific response. The example, and this works for me, it may or may not work for you, is in the Old Testament, Moses was given the law by God. And God said, now draw, call the elders of Israel to the mountain, I think, and read to them all the, you know, the precepts of this law and give them the opportunity. Do they want to come into covenant with me or not? And the elders of Israel said, Yes, we agree to these things. You shall be our God, and we shall be your people. Great. Now call all the people to the mountain, Moses, and tell them the same thing. You know, thou shalt not this, and thou shalt that, and, you know, all, the whole thing. And then ask them the question. And, and they said, yes, we agree to these things. We shall be your people, and you shall be our God. Then God explained to them, Now I can't remember if it was before or after, but uh, like Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, maybe, you know, it says, and, and I offer you life and death, blessing and curse. Keep these covenant promises that you agreed to, and all of this stuff will be yours. I mean, it's amazing, right? You won't get sick. I won't put any sickness on you. Your flocks, I mean, it's just amazing. But if you don't keep this covenant with me, then this is what's going to happen to you. Life or death, blessing or curse. The point is that it was very specific. Now, here we, we come to the new covenant, this, this better covenant with better promises, with a better high priest, and it's not different. There's a covenant that, that like, like when we do a wedding, right? You know, person, man, do you promise to, uh, of course, now I can't think of any of the vows, but that, 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 that you'll have her and forsake all others. Yes, till death do you part. Richness, poorness, sickness, health. I mean, I can't tell you how many people come up, you know, you're, you're talking and marriage is struggling, and they're like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm like, yes, you did. You know, <laughs> Don't you remember those vows you made? You need to understand you're establishing a covenant. The covenant is in the vows. It's in the things that you speak, and then God blesses the covenant, and that's... So, so when a person 
breaks the covenant of marriage in a certain way, it's broken. And God will recognize its brokenness. He doesn't like it. He doesn't uh, want it to be broken, but he'll ordain that it be broken because the covenant has been broken. So when, when we lead somebody to Jesus in the gospel, what we have to understand is we're presenting them a covenant. And God has a part of the covenant that he offers, life in his son, and we have a part of the covenant that we offer, which is what we're going to talk about today. Does that make sense? Okay, good. That's, that's a good way to think about it. Um, here's a couple of uh, parts of Scripture that caused me to believe that the, the gospel and, and then the, the <laughs> precepts of the gospel and the response of the gospel are specific. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Apostle Paul speaking. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Well, not another gospel. Gospel. That's my word, gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So Paul said, I preached the gospel that is actually the gospel to you. Now here come these people that are preaching to you a contrary gospel. It was probably a very similar gospel, but specifically these false teachers were coming in and telling them that, that Christianity was kind of a sect of Judaism. And in order to be a Christian, you had to be a Jew first. And specifically for the men, they had to take on circumcision. So they're being taught, listen, you can't really be saved unless you're circumcised. Paul says the minute that you take on circumcision, you've been severed from Christ, you've fallen from grace, and Christ is of no value to you, you who wish to be under law. So, so, is the gospel fluid or is it specific? Well, we know for sure that if you try to add any of your own works to the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, then you've placed yourself under law. And if you're under any of the law, you're under all of the law. You've already failed at keeping the law. That's why Jesus came. So Galatians is a great example that would teach us that the gospel is specific because they were being, they were being um, persuaded to accept something different than the gospel that Paul preached to them. And then 1 Corinthians 15 is a really powerful um, couple of verses at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul now speaking, speaking, speaking to the church at Corinth. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul says that there is a gospel that he preached, or he declared to them. The gospel was received. And, and when he says received, my sense is it was acknowledged, it was positively responded to, it was not rejected, Right? And we know that that's true because he says you're standing in this gospel and you are saved in this gospel. So there's not a question, is he speaking to, um, trying to think First John, you know, they were of us, but they were never really of us, and that's why they went away. They were never truly, you know, born-again Christians. He says, this gospel which you received, 
you stand in your salvation. You're saved. But then he says, if you hold fast to that gospel which I preach to you, unless your faith is vain. Vain means of of no effect. It, It accomplishes nothing. So in this specific case, the false teachers had come in, and they, they were denying the, the literal resurrection of the literally dead Christ. So Paul is saying to them, listen, the minute that you decide that there was no resurrection, your faith is vain. You don't have faith that can save you. Again, I say the gospel is specific. It has to be specific because these guys couldn't change the gospel and remain in a faith that would actually save them. So there's two components, and and I believe, I mean, you could preach the gospel out without any context, and could somebody be saved? I think the answer has to be yes. But I would never preach the gospel outside of some context. Okay, So, two necessary components, the hearing of the actual gospel, not, you know, the, hey, ask Jesus into your heart gospel, not the, hey, you want to get right with God gospel, not the repeat after me this prayer gospel, but the gospel that articulates what the good news really is. Okay, so some of the context would be understanding why you care, right? Why do I care that there's a good news gospel? Because you live on the bad news side of that thing. And, and that you should understand the bad news so that you have any sense for the good news, right? The second element that's required is to respond to the gospel. Talk to people. Ask them. Do you, have, do, you, do you know Jesus? Are you saved? Are you born again? Do you have any idea what those terms mean? If you died right now, would you go to heaven? Heck yeah, why? I believe in God. Awesome. Got nothing to do with you're going to go to heaven. I go to church every Sunday. Ever since I was a baby, I never missed a Sunday in church. Wonderful. Got nothing to do with the gospel. You know what I'm saying? So the gospel is, is necessary. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, the, whoever the guy was, you know, the ancient guy that said, um, the gospel should be preached, and if necessary, with words, that's nonsense. The gospel is words. Without the words, the gospel is not the gospel. You might live the gospel, and somebody asks you, wow, you're so different than everybody else. You're kind of like a light in the world. Why is that? then you give an apologia, you give an, a, an answer for your faith that is the gospel. Because you can't, just, you can't just, Peter's shadow could heal somebody, but we can't just walk past them and the light makes them saved. They have to hear the gospel, they have to respond to the gospel. And I really believe that the gospel should be proclaimed in context. Give me give you some examples of context. They should have some understanding of God. The first thing I ask is, do you believe in God? And, and if they don't believe in God, then we can talk about how you might believe in God. If they do believe in God, I, I say, well, you know, in the world there's lots of gods. Man, <laughs> met this lady, uh, part of the family of Corinne, right? And she comes up to me, and I mean, she is a doll, just a sweetheart, just, you know, just really compassionate towards, I don't know if it's her niece or her cousin, I don't know what their relationship is to Corinne. And she's like, boy, when you were praying and, and when you talk, it's so powerful. Would you do me a favor? I'm like, Sure. She says, would you hold my friend's magic rock? And I'm like, and she's got this giant pointy crystal. It looks like a fat crystally bottom with the Washington Monument sticking up out of it, about this tall. I'm like, well, you know, 
in, the, in God's kingdom, magic's kind of a four-letter word, you know? And so I, I asked her, is your friend a Christian? Yeah, and she told me some magic story about the rock. And are you a Christian? She said, of course. And uh, I, I explained to her about the magic rock. It, it, if, it had, if there's any juice on that rock, it's not from God. And, and you, you can't believe it has power. And she told me about yoga, and she told me about nirvana, and I'm like, listen, man, that's all bad juju. You, you, you know, that doesn't go with the kingdom of God. And uh, after I was done, I said, okay, put that, put that rock in my hand. And I prayed, I said, Lord, I, this, if there's anything on that rock, it's demonic. And in the name and the authority of Jesus, I cleanse this thing. It's nothing more than a shiny, pretty crystal. You created it. There's nothing magic about it. There's nothing lucky about it. In Jesus' name, and I gave it back to her. Then the next day, I'm in the room praying over Corinne, and there's another one of these crystal deals sitting on the shelf. I asked the mom, I said, hey, where'd that come from? Same lady. I'm like, man, that's bad juju. Right? She said, get it out of here. It, it's probably in the dumpster at, uh, at Genesis now. And some, some little amulet, I don't know what the right word is, between her legs, like between her knees on the bed, like somebody put it there like it had some power. It's in the dumpster at uh, Genesis now too. Um, the point is, somebody could believe in God, but, but it's not any God. It's only one God. There's only one God who created the universe. Do they understand about creation? Well, nobody in our culture believes in creation. They believe in evolution. But if you believe in evolution and not creation, yet you want to be a Christian, then you don't have a right understanding of how you came about. If, you, if Jeff formed me, made me, then I have some, I'm, I'm beholding in some way to my maker. But if I just evolved from sludge or however they think that happened, you know, spaceship dumped its toilet on Earth and now here we are, then there's no higher power that has any authority over me because he had no, no uh, part in my making. It was just an accident. So creation, who God, which God? Um, understand the fall, understand man's broken relationship with God, understand that, that Jesus ain't your homeboy. It's like, it's not like that. Um, understand the consequence of that broken relationship, that you literally are living under the eternal wrath of God. And there's coming a day when God will judge all of mankind through his son. And you're not on the good side of that thing. Redemption in Christ, the cross, the resurrection, count the cost. Jesus said, hey, listen, before you want to be my disciple, you need to understand the cost of being my disciple. You know how different a person looks if you say, hey, Jesus loves you so much, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to forgive all your sins. Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? Yeah, okay, just pray this prayer with me. Now you've got to mean it. Okay, dear Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I mean, you know, whatever it might be. And that person, they have no sense for their rebellion against God. See, because when, when I think about sin... And, I shared this with you the other day. Let me just share it with you quickly again. In the Old Testament, you, you had a law that, that read like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was written so that if you poked out my eye, it wasn't okay to murder you. That my response to your transgression couldn't be greater than what you did to me. But it's a legitimate thing, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So when you and I have a sin against each other, it, it's worked out in kind of a fashion like this. But if I see a quarter laying on the counter that's not mine at the dollar store, and I slip it off the counter, and I steal what's not mine. That transgression 
which among each other, we'd be like, yeah, it's a quarter, whatever. You know, you should probably go and put it back. That transgression earns the eternal wrath of God. So my point is we don't see sin in its real magnitude. If you told a lie, you are due the just penalty of the eternal wrath of God. If, if I can get my eyes opened in the process of hearing the gospel to how holy God is. And remember, I'm not going to respond to it, not, not in the sense that I'm actually going to get born again unless the grace of God is present for that to happen, right? So if the grace of God is present and I can get some sense for how horrible it is the way I've rebelled against this beautiful, perfect, and holy God, then my sense of repentance is going to be way different than if I say, hey, you know, God just loves you and he wants you to go to heaven and not to hell and he wants to forgive your sins and bless you for all of eternity. I, I don't have a strong sense of why I even need Jesus. Now, I might repent and whatever, but, but I need to see sin as really, really sinful because a high, high price was paid that my sinful, the wrath associated with my sin was poured out on the perfect Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Right? The resurrection count the cost of kingdom life. How about this? Your life is not your own. Right? Yeah, I don't, I don't really, you know, that's really not my thing. It's like, you don't understand. It is your thing. You don't have a life if you're a Christian. You're an own guy. You, you traded your life for the blood of Jesus. And, and now you belong to him. So, I, you know, yeah, I'm really, I'm really not so much about serving, you know. I'm, I'm more of a, of a quiet prayer guy. It's like, no, 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 no. People should understand that when they come in, not try to change their mind after they come in. They should understand the Great Commission. You know, I mean, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you want it or don't you want it? Which kingdom do you want to live in? Well, I, I kind of like being able to do the stuff I want to do, but I don't want to go to hell. It's like, no, no, no. God offers you a spot in his kingdom. But if you're a subject in his kingdom, guess what? He's the king, not you. Do you want to be subject to this king whose kingdom is light and righteousness? Or do you want to be in the other kingdom where your father the devil who's a liar? And you could do everything that makes you feel good. But ultimately, there's still only one kingdom. And this place called the eternal lake of fire was prepared for everybody who doesn't want to be in God's kingdom. Now's the only time you get a choice. Okay. The gospel is about the kingdom. That's an important thing to think about, too. All right, um, let me just give you some examples. I'll go really fast right now. Luke 24, 45 through 47. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus elsewhere in the gospel says, repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. So here you hear from Jesus' mouth, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John 20, 30, and I'm just going to go from, from in book order through these things. I'm not, I'm not going to try to lump them together. I'll, I'll catch that a little bit at the end. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So have life in his name, I think, is equivalent to being saved or born again, right? So he says, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if you believe that, you'll have life in his name. Jesus himself really didn't say that at all. He said, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you go on to Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, now this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He says, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that's what Peter said. And it's a, it's a full statement. If you wanted to, you could say, no, 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 all a person must do is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. My question is, how do you do that? Lord, save me. That's what Peter said, right? Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the prophesied Messiah, the come Christ, save me. I mean, that's a little more specific. Am I going to heaven? It's what Peter said. But then you go a little further in Acts chapter 2. Peter's still talking, and he says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop for just a second there. So, if you repent and you're baptized, so we heard repentance before, now it's repent and be baptized, but a minute ago it was call on the name of the Lord. Now Peter in the same sermon is saying, here's how you get your sins forgiven, and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the seal that would indicate that you truly are saved. Hmm. For the promises for you and for your children, you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to himself, and with many other words, well, that's interesting to me. There was a whole bunch of more talking going on. This is just what was recorded for us. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his words were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So Paul says, this gospel that I preached that you received. See, Peter's not baptizing anybody that didn't get born again, right? Baptism isn't what you do to get born again. It's what you do in obedience to the Lord. It's your public declaration that you're a dead person. That happens after somebody gets born again. And just a quick second, people will say, unless you're baptized, you can't be saved. But Peter, at the house of Cornelius, is sharing the gospel, and all of a sudden, they start to speak in tongues. And then Peter, in Jerusalem, is testifying to the Jewish heads of the church, like, hey, look it, the Gentiles get to be Christians too. How do you know? Because God gave them what he gave us. The fact that they were speaking in other tongues indicated that they had the Holy Spirit. To Peter, the apostle, he believed that was the indication. They hadn't yet been baptized, but we know they were born again, because they had the Holy Spirit. We know they had the Holy Spirit because they were speaking in tongues. Yet Peter says here, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's all over the place. Go forward, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come 
from the presence of the Lord. So now we see repent again. You repent so that your sins may be wiped away, but there's no indication of being baptized so that your sins may be wiped away. Go forward again now to Acts chapter 5, 29 through 32. But Peter and the apostles answered, Why we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted at his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Remember, having the Holy Spirit means you're saved, right? That's the seal. Here he says that God gives the Holy Spirit not to those who repent, to those who are baptized, that I forget what the other things are, but to those who obey God. I mean, the response to the gospel is getting pretty long. Acts 8.12, but when they believed, you know, the people that Philip was preaching to, Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. So I put that in there because when Jesus spoke, he came to proclaim the kingdom of God, right? The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. Here's Philip. He's a great evangelist, and he preached the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom. Paul preached the kingdom. So the kingdom is really what we're talking about. Now you say, well, what about Jesus? What about forgiveness of sins? All that is about the kingdom, that God is king. And there's this world where his creation has chosen not to be part of his kingdom. So he's preaching that you can be part of his kingdom. You can be subject to this king if you want. Here's how. Um, Acts chapter 8, 34 through 38, this is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. So here's this high official from Ethiopia who's in his chariot, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip comes up to him, and I don't have the whole context in here, but let me just start at 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say? The prophet is Isaiah. Say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the part from and Philip said to he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God is bracketed. Okay? Personally, I treat the bracketed parts just like Scripture. But what it means, I mean, I think it is Scripture. But what it means when they bracket it is that in the oldest manuscripts, they don't find this part. So they're telling you this was probably added later after the original, the first writing of the Luke of the book of Acts. So, so you take that one with a grain of salt or not if you want to. But... They're reading from Isaiah 53. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish. And, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So if you're Philip the evangelist, again, you baptize people you believe to be born again. You baptize saved people, not unsaved people. They're reading from Isaiah uh, 53. Philip preached Jesus. I'm assuming the, you know, the full gospel. He wanted to be baptized. Why? Because he believed that he believed, but the indication was, if you believe with all your heart, Philip never indicated believe what, and he said what he believed, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there's another 
indication of how you get saved. The response to the gospel is you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip accepted the eunuch's confession. We know that's true because he baptized him. Acts chapter 11, 13 through 18. I'm almost done. Kind of almost done. This is Peter. I mentioned this earlier, testifying about his experience to the elders in the church, testifying about his experience in the house of Cornelius. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon. So this is recounting what happened to Cornelius. The angel came to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And I will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did. Now it's Peter speaking. Fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. So the indication here is that God, by his grace, granted that they could repent, choose to repent, confess to repent, and he gave them eternal life. Nothing about believing is mentioned here. So right now, you could get a pattern in here. You could say, hey, listen, you have to repent, and then you'll be saved. But that's not true. You can't repent, right? You could go to somebody who recognizes that that they are dead in their sins and say, you must repent so that you can be saved. They couldn't do it, but let's say they did. They never committed another sin again. The rest of their life, and then they died. Did they end up in heaven or hell? They end up in hell. Because they never had the sin they'd already committed transferred from them to Jesus by faith. They were still corrupt in the sin that they'd committed, even though they hadn't committed another one, right? Five minutes before I die, I might not think a bad thought for five whole minutes, and that could be looked at as repentance. Do I get to go to heaven or not? No. Without, without the shed blood of Jesus cleansing away my sin, giving me his righteousness, I don't get to go to heaven. No matter how good I did at repentance, there's more than just repentance. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 25, the Apostle Paul speaking. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. So, apart from the law, and you'll see this in a minute, there's a law, the law, there's a righteousness that can come from the law, except nobody can keep it. And then there's a righteousness of faith in Jesus Christ. So here the indication is that this faith, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe, doesn't indicate what they would believe. It implies Jesus, but it doesn't give you any specifics. And then finally, 1 John 5, 1 and 2, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's born again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So here's another one. The criteria, the, the, um, 
the, ne- the necessary thing being believed that Jesus is the Christ means you're born again. So he- here's the list. I've, I've, I've tried to call it a little bit. List of conditions to be born again. Repent or repentance. Believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Call on the name of the Lord. Repent and be baptized. Obey God. Believe with all your heart. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Those are all ways that were presented as such and be saved. So here's where I think the rubber meets the road. Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. This is Jesus preaching. Now after John, John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Two things. Acts 20, 20 and 21. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul. I forget the port that he was at, but he sent back to Ephesus, bring the elders of the church to me. And he's basically going to tell them goodbye. I'm not likely to ever see you guys again. So go get them and bring them here. He wants to encourage them one last time. Here's what Paul says. Blah, blah, blah. How I did not, I, Paul, did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of, this is how he's describing the gospel now, of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, faith, Jesus. Repent and believe. The Apostle Paul, all the other stuff that he said, he summarizes it right here, repentance and believing, faith. Now, Romans 10, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a fairly long course of Scripture here, because for me, this is the place that, that you see it the best. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based in law, shall live by that righteousness, gain life, like eternal life by the righteousness that comes from practicing the law. So what he's saying is there's a legitimate way outside of faith to have a relationship with God. It's called keeping the law, which we would call self-righteousness. It's legitimate, except nobody can. Nobody has. Everybody's corrupted. It's not an illegitimate way. It's an impossible way. But it, it, it's, a, it's a way, right, because we have the law. But the law was to point us towards our need, to a, need for a Savior, right? Okay, he goes on. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. So two types of righteousness. Self-righteousness and this kind of righteousness that's based on faith. The outcome is the same. It's righteous. You're righteous before God. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. So this word, the word of faith that Paul preaches, is the gospel. That's the way he's describing the gospel in this course of Scripture. So he goes on to say, uh, let me just back up a bit. Uh, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, essentially his paraphrase for gospel. This is the gospel which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. 
For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Remember, Peter said that, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Paul is saying that, but see, in the context that Paul says it, it's a summary of what he just told them. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you shall be saved. How do I call on the name of the Lord? You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Even that is summary statements. When you say, well, I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, what does that mean? It means that you, you understand that Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for your sin. In order for him to be accepted by God, he had to meet a certain standard. To be accepted. If he didn't meet the standard, he's not an acceptable sacrifice. If the law said, hey, you know, you gotta, you got to sacrifice an ox dealt with this way to take care of this particular sin problem, and, and you brought him a turnip, it doesn't work. Turnip doesn't meet that need. Jesus had to be an acceptable sacrifice for the purpose he offered himself in order for that purpose to actually be accomplished. How do we know? I know you know this. How do we know that God accepted him as a sacrifice? God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. You know that the sacrifice that was offered on behalf of your sin was acceptable to God because he was resurrected from the dead. If you believe that, then all the rest of that stuff, you're good to go. But you'd have to know that stuff. That's why context is so important. If we went back through the list, I could make a case for all of those things equal repentance and faith or trust in Jesus as a full and complete payment for your sin debt to God. And that's the way you need to respond when somebody is sitting in front of you and they've heard the gospel and you're asking them, hey, would you like to respond? Are you at a place in your life where you've counted the cost? Do you want me to help you understand the cost, what it means to be a disciple? Yeah, how how do I do it? You confess repentance. How do you? How's another way to say repentance? Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? He's your king. You're his subject. He's the master. You're the slave. You're selling yourself into bondage to Jesus. Your life isn't yours anymore. It belongs to him. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. That's what it means to repent. If you're used to stealing music over the internet, you need to stop. Why? Because your king says that that's outside of his will. And if he's Lord, then you're going to surrender yourself to his lordship. And do you believe that God... Oh, somebody got a little convicted back there. Or, or the baby smiled. It's probably the baby. It's always the baby that gets me. And do you understand that you, you have a debt? I love the scripture that says that you got this, this certificate of decrees against you. I'm assuming every sin you've ever committed is written on this big old long scroll... And when you come to understand that Jesus' sacrifice on behalf of your sin debt to God was absolutely satisfactory and you trust that that's true, that decree with all your sins is taken to the cross of Jesus and it's nailed up there. It's not yours anymore, it's his. And then his very righteousness is imputed to you. Because you have to be as righteous as God if you want to have a, a temporal or an eternal relationship with him. And guess what? You're not. And I'm not. But Jesus is. And it's in his righteousness that God accepts us. So when somebody says, yeah, I'm ready, what must I do? You put your little Peter face on and say, repent 
and believe. And let me just explain to you what that means. And now you know. So when you're up here, the first thing that you ask, did you want to respond to the offer that God has made to you today? And some people, probably most of them, are going to say, I already have. Now my first question then is, how do you know? And they never know. Remember Paul said, if you hold fast to this gospel which you heard, you say, what are you holding fast to? I, I, I go to church on Sundays. I'm a good person. It's like, are they not saved? I don't know, but I wouldn't want them to hang their head on that. I'd want them to hear the gospel, internalize the gospel, respond to the gospel. I remember the one lady, only lady here, so I shared the gospel with her privately back in the corner. Next day I get a call from Teresa, or Teresa gets a call from uh, the person that brought her and is like, Hey, so-and-so wants to know what's a good, good Bible to buy. Now, they were convinced when they walked in the room that they were born again because they went to Mass sometimes, and they believed in God. But they got born again when they heard the Gospel and responded to it because it's the Gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. Let me just end with this little statement here. When Peter preached, right, on the day of Pentecost, he said they were cut to the heart and cried out, what must we do? See, nobody can get saved unless that God gives them the grace to get saved. John chapter 6, verse 44 and 65 say, nobody comes to the Son unless they're drawn by the Father. There she is. Nobody comes to Jesus unless they're drawn by the Father. That's grace. 1 Corinthians says that spiritual things are foolishness to the carnal mind. So the, the spiritual conversation around salvation is, is nuttiness to somebody who doesn't already have the Spirit. So somehow God has to help them to be able to see it as not foolishness and actually respond to it. That's grace. So when you sit down with somebody that's heard the gospel, most likely, if that grace is present, they're going to be cut to the heart. They're going to be like, oh my gosh, I, I, don't, I didn't understand that before. What must I do? And now you'll, you get to be Peter. Like Peter said to them on that day, he told them, uh, I can't remember what Peter said, repent and be baptized. Peter said, call on the name of the Lord. You'll explain to them how they do that. They'll do that. And if they're sincere when they do it, grace of God is present, then they'll be regenerated. And there'll be a new person. And the Holy Spirit will come and take up his place to dwell inside of them, to help them down this process of kingdom life, serving Jesus, and being changed from glory to glory and faith to faith unto the very likeness of their Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, my plan for next Sunday is to not be the primary prayer person with anybody. So that if you're praying with somebody... And you're like, man, I know you told us this stuff last week, but it seemed like a lot. Call me, and I'll help you. Call Teresa. Call. I know Dana Hill um, is very well-versed in the gospel. Probably you guys are, uh, Laura and Bruce. I, I just I haven't had that experience with lots of people. I've had it with some people. So don't be afraid to not have all the answers. But the gospel we present has to be the gospel. Otherwise, another gospel can't get them saved. And the preacher of another gospel, that's... You know, a curse doesn't sound like the best place to be with the Lord either. Amen? Okay, now, has something changed?